Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Julian Sellers, who's the CEO of First Mode, who are a digital, sorry, who are a global carbon reduction company focused on heavy industry and exists to solve the most dire and pressing problems for people and our planet. Um, Julian has a background in architectural and engineering and has worked in the naval marine um, space for most of his career before moving into the mining sector. Uh, with Anglo-American to be their head of technology, developing and implementing step change, new technologies and practices, focusing on reducing water, energy consumption, minimising land disturbance, waste production, uh, preventing soil, water and air pollution at mine sites um, and conducting successful mine closures and reclamination activities. Um, Today, he's going to talk about first mode and what what they've been doing to help decarbonize the uh, mining industry. So that's welcome, Julian, to the podcast. How are you doing, Julian? Good, thanks, Rob. Well, thanks a lot for having me today. Yeah, appreciate your time as well. Um, we've had a few uh, full starts, but we've managed to uh, managed to uh, get, uh, get talking. So um, as we always start these podcasts off, just wondering if you can give a sort of career summary, um, tell us a little bit about your career, how it's, that, how it's developed, um, so our audience knows a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to fill in the gaps. So obviously, you described a, a lot of it just there. So, um, yeah, originally grew up in Birmingham in the UK. Um, went to London and studied naval architecture. So an engineering degree, but focused on uh, on marine, as you said. Um, after that, I actually in two thousand and one moved to the states and worked in offshore engineering, um, working for offshore drilling contractors. And uh, what really drew me to that was when I was at university, one of our lecturers was always, he'd always be late, like 20 minutes late. And he was like, I was just on a phone with uh, BP. They're trying to do this big complex lift in the North Sea and I needed to help them. And he explained it all from first principles and really kind of apply that engineering knowledge to the problem. And it and it kind of got me excited about, uh, I think that's an interesting industry to go into. Um so I did my master's, I stayed on actually, I did my master's and then got a job in, in offshore engineering and uh, moved to moved to the States and was over there for about seven, eight years in total um, and did about four or five years in engineering before moving to operations. Um, and it was really that sense of where's the business drivers, how can I deliver the most value and have the biggest difference? And whilst the engineering was a really good foundation, understanding the, the, the basics of how everything works, um, particularly in offshore, being able to then go and manage operations and put that into practice was something that really interested me. Um, during that time as well, I, I went to the University of Houston, studied my MBA, um, which also helped me understand the business fundamentals better and drivers around that. Um, from there, I went on and moved to Switzerland. It was a couple of years in corporate finance in the head office, which is a really different view of strategy and company direction. Um, and from there, went on and lived in Perth in Australia, which was kind of my first exposure actually to mining, to be honest, because we were we grew the business there from a few hundred people to nearly 800 by the time I left over a few years. Um, and we were constantly 
battling between, you know, the craftsmen or tradesmen moving between offshore and mining, depending on who was booming and who wasn't. And so it was really interesting. Obviously, Perth's a real hotspot for mining, and it's where actually there's a significant uh, piece of first mode there today in terms of office. Um, so I was there for about four years as country manager um, and then went back to Houston during downturn. And then in the space of a few years, I probably had five or six different jobs, just fixing different problems within the company, um, working on really tough challenges from, you know, reimagining our supply chain um, through to eliminating projects, which is a big problem. Um, every time we stop to do a project, you're not earning revenue. Um, and so how can we do that more efficiently? And we did a lot of that work in Australia and took that to the company. But during that period, um, I actually went in and started the company's digital transformation and also um, technology innovation. And so we started a number of projects around that. And from there, that's where we kind of got the opportunity to, to move across to Anglo-American. Um, during that period, before moving to, to Anglo, I took, uh, I was lucky enough to be sent on a course for a couple of months where you have the opportunity to, you don't get a chance to do any work. You just end up doing, focusing on, yourself actually and kind of self-reflection and learning and um it was during this period of time that i kind of realized that actually what i wanted to do was have a bigger impact um the oil and gas space you know one of the things i do rec recognize is there needs to be a transition an orderly one and so oil and gas is needed but also we need to get ourselves off of it and so as I was looking at my career and I was, I've got a young family as well and wanting to look back at the impact I could have, um, I decided that actually I wanted to move into um, more of the energy transition role than I had. So the, the opportunity with Anglo-American came up as um, head of technology for sustainability. And what they were looking for there was someone who could bring different thinking to it, not classical, you know, mining or just ah, someone who's got a track record of thinking differently, implementing innovative solutions. Um, and I did that and moved across in 2018 to Anglo-American. And it was there that started looking very differently at how you decarbonize. I think a lot of people look at the problem from, I've got a small segment, I, I need to decarbonize, let's say trucks or this piece of equipment or this part of the process. I'm saying we're looking at it from we need to decarbonize the whole mine and if you look at it from a system then you can start putting it together in different ways and that's what we really did with landing on the solution um the new gen solution that we're developing at first mode today so obviously you recently took a role uh, a ceo role with first mode um i just wanted to just tell us about the recent combination of anglo-americans new gen uh project with first mode Sure. So, um, so as I mentioned, then we uh, so started in about 2018, mid 2018 with Anglo American, and it was probably I've been in the job a couple of months before I was introduced to First Mode, and First Mode today actually is uh, is our fifth anniversary, and it was around they started maybe a few months earlier, um, and First Mode's approach to problem solving is using systems engineering. That the, the heritage a lot is in space and bringing that real fundamental first principles look at the problem and I've done some work around what I thought was potential solution for decarbonizing the mine um, and so but what I wanted to do was have someone look at it critique it tell me I was wrong or put the maths and the, the physics to it and work from there and that, that's what first mode did 
And it was from there that we've been what I've been working with them for the past you know, four, four and a half years. And in that time, first mode has grown from 11 people to you know, 250 in that process, primarily made up of engineers and um, and really attracted phenomenal talent to, to bring to the project, which is what's needed, actually. Um, and so when we so within Anglo at the same time, we were looking at, OK, we've done um, we've done our proof of concept solution, which we launched in May the 5th last year um, in South Africa, Mahalakwena Mine. And we needed to commercialize. We always planned to scale up. And so the, the obviously question was, do you do that with an Anglo-American? Do you do this? How do you do this such that it would be accepted by the mining industry? Also, um, current OEMs within the industry and partners. And so we really had a strong feeling that actually, if we could combine with first mode to create a separate entity that could go in and deliver to the industry, more broader industry, that would be much more powerful, much more likely to succeed. And also Anglo-Americans more likely to get its solution, which is to decarbonize its haulage. And so that was the, the main driver um, as why we did that. And so we've we've combined the business um, on January the 5th, officially closed. And um, you know, the kind of the new first mode was was started. Um, but one of the other things that came with that business combination was actually a very large supply agreement with with um with Anglo-American, and that's basically to decarbonize seven of their mines, which contain approximately 400 um, ultra-class trucks. And so over the next 15 years, we are now building to, uh, to deliver into that supply agreement. And so if you think about it, we've got initial funding. We have a, a very knowledgeable set of engineers that actually been working on this problem for the past four years. Um, and we actually know what we want to do next in terms of product development and the, the roadmap. And we have a supply agreement and a customer already there. So a lot of the time, if you have a startup, they've got a great idea. They don't necessarily have the customers. Well, we're fortunate that we've got a great customer. We've got the idea and the, the ability to bridge between the two. And now we're able to also talk more broadly to other customers to start bringing them in. And so those things are actively going on right now. Um, the mining industry has been increasingly setting ESG targets, uh, particularly obviously around decarbonisation. Um, what are the biggest challenges in meeting um, these uh, decarbonisation targets? Um, and are there paths forward um, that are particularly promising? Sure, yeah. So so kind of, if you're going to break out, what are the big, big scope or emissions drivers for mining? So most of the emissions associated with the mining come from um electricity generation so typically if, if you connect to the grid it would be called scope two some mines have their own diesel generators to generate power because they're so far off grid that you classify those as scope one but a lot of the big mines are, are kind of scope two um and the emissions the size of the emissions depends on the grid you're on if it's a coal-fired grid very high also um the type of mineral that you have as well because some take huge amounts of processing power um, and so some of our mines can have like a 200 megawatt baseload requirement for largely driven by comminution, which is crushing of the rock. Um, and so if you look at that and it's as one aspect of it, that has to be eliminated. Um, a lot of that is focused, is going to be solved with renewable power, wind and solar. That's where everyone's going. Um, the problem, though, with doing that is you introduce huge amounts of variability into the grid because it's not continuous. Obviously, solar is just during the day, wind is on and off. And so then the grid has to contend with huge amounts of swing in power. 
Um, so that's one thing, and, I, and I'll talk about why that's important in a second. But the, the other part is scope one, which is diesel. And if you look at open pit mines, for example, the largest um, diesel contributor is from these very large ultra-class haul, haul trucks. Um, about 80% typically, 70 to 80% of the total consumption is in the vehicles. Um, and so when we looked at that as well, we're kind of like, well, if you think about the mine as a system, what we want to do is eliminate scope one and scope two. Scope three is something that people are starting to address, but not many people have targets on scope three, which is more associated with the supply chain around what you're bringing in. But scope one and two is, is much more direct in terms of your use. And so when we looked at the problem and said, okay, if we look at the mine as a system and we're trying to get the best outcome across the system, you can't look at the the um, necessarily the grid and the diesel. If you looked in isolation, you come up with a different solution. And so if you take it, like say, embracing this variability where if I, if I put a, a solar field in and I'm over generating to meet my baseload requirements, what that means is you have excess power during the day. And some places you can sell that back into the grid, other places you can't. Um, and so you typically, and because of the cost of renewables is a lot less than what you get off the grid, the economics are you can start looking at that and going, okay, if I have excess power, what can I use that in? And then I can use it to bring down the cost of other solutions. And when we looked at haulage, we looked at everything. We looked at biodiesel. We looked at um, natural gas, we looked at other solutions. And, and essentially, we came down to the set of we want a solution that will have no local emissions, um, which drove us to 100% electric, so either battery or really it was a hydrogen-based system. Mainly the hydrogen is driven by, we need range and, and energy density. And so, but when you bring them together, if you look at you look at your the power generation aspects of it and you look at the system, if you're able to balance that with something else, in this case, when we looked at it, hydrogen was a really good balancer for that system. And then you could use it in the haulage because it looked like the best solution for that because of the range you can get. As long as you can bring that cost down to be competitive with diesel, then you'll have a solution that gives you the same flexibility that you have in your mind today, which is really important for the miners at a cost that is almost parity to diesel. And that's the path that we're on. But it's essentially if you just looked at the haul truck in isolation without thinking about that grid component, you would arrive at a solution. This is too expensive to do. Um, we're too far off to do this. And that was some of the different thinking we did. And so we, when we did that, we then went into... All right, we, we look what what's existing in this system, what needs to be developed. And we engage with all of well, and so we looked at it. Sorry, so hydrogen um generation's been around for nearly 100 years um in electrolyzers. You've got renewable power, we have refueling gaseous systems, and so what was we also have the trucks are diesel electric as well, the ones we have. So essentially the thing that was missing was a very high-powered um zero emission engine to replace the diesel and so we, we spoke to the oems um their timelines and their kind of willingness to develop that was was not high um and so this is where you know after the initial work that we did with first mode we went back and said hey would you be interested in designing the next one the next phase and and it just grew from there and the company grew from there to ultimately uh where we actually installed built the whole ecosystem in south africa we installed the power plant so it's a two megawatt peak power plant um, which is a hybrid of of fuel cells and batteries 
and basically made the the world's first and world's largest zero emission haul truck. Um, so it's got the same payload, circa 300 tons as the um, vehicle does today. Um, you know, fully laden, the whole thing weighs 520 tons. And so it's fully operational, all electric in South Africa, and it's in operation right now. Um, I wonder if you can just tell us more about the, the uh, new gen solution. Sure. So, yeah. So one of the things that, again, looking at from a system, we're, we're looking, we have to replace diesel, right? And so you can create and design a truck. But if it's got no fuel to go in it, it's no good to anyone. And then you start going back and like, well, refueling, it's going to be different. Um, you can't do the, the obviously diesel refueling has been around for a long time. It's well known. The interfaces are well known. Everyone knows how to do it. So we have to replace that as well. And then you start looking about, well, how do I store this new fuel? With, you know, whether it's be in this case here, whether you go 100% battery or whether you go with hydrogen, you still got to do this. How am I going to charge it? Where am I going to store the energy? Am I can I rely on the grid all the time? And you've got to answer all these questions. So you go back through the whole system. And so when we look at new gen, um, we look at the full system. So you go back to where's the source of the green electrons and essentially think about custody of that electron all the way through to drive um, at the wheels. So you go, where's my renewable energy coming from? How am I going to generate, in this case, hydrogen? Where am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? Is it, is it suitably sized? Because we, we've got to bring the cost down. You can oversize the system and it costs you a lot of money. So it's really important that you size it appropriately to give the reliability that the mine needs. Um, and then you go, well, how am I going to refuel? Because there's no way around it, whether you're whatever solution we go with, hydrogen battery, um, you're going to have to refuel more often. You know, diesel's a, an amazing energy storage um, medium. And we're not, we haven't got anything near it. And so what we're trying to do is get the same performance. What we don't want to do is say, here's your solution, but you need to double the size of your haulage fleet because it has to be parked up or you have to stop it every hour because you've got to recharge or refuel it. So we have to rethink about how you refuel. How do you do it differently in the mine? How do we get the energy onto the vehicle efficiently? And then when it's on the vehicle, how do you use it efficiently? Um, you know, one of the reasons we have um, a large battery system is there's a lot of energy that needs to be recouped as you go back down into the pit. And if that's not captured, you end up using a lot more of um, your source energy. In this case, would be using hydrogen. So we're trying to reduce the consumption as much as possible all the time. And so when you when we're doing the whole system, we want to basically go, not go, here's a customer, here's, here's a refueling system, or go buy the truck from someone else, and you know it's your problem. Not at all. We want to help them through it because there's many things around... It's a new technology. There's new operational requirements that are needed. We're going to have to do new training for people. The safety is different. And so it's a different set of risks to manage now. And so we have to do all of that. So when, one of the things about doing it in Mahalakwena on an active operational mine was we've done this already before for that. I mean, when the truck goes out, it goes out. It's been into the pits. It's been under the shovel. It's been intermixed with the fleet. So we, we've been through this learning curve with the, with the POC. Now we're doing it with the fleet then it's different, different integrations into the fleet management system and so on. So we're basically taking that on ourselves to do because we have to, because otherwise we won't be able to deliver a system that can the customer can actually use and adopt. So I think that's that's the big thing about the difference about how we go about it than, than anyone else. And so to be able to deliver that as well, 
We've got a lot of partnerships we've got in place because it's a full ecosystem, whether it be hydrogen production partnerships, whether it be fuel cell for what goes into the vehicle. You know, there's many different ones across there. So that's one of the things that we do. Um, and then also we've been we've also got our own proving grounds we've put together in um, down in Centralia, which is about an hour and a half down from Seattle. And I was there last week to see the team. And essentially what we've got in um in Seattle now is we have the engineering, we're building also a manufacturing facility here for, for low level production. And then we have what we call our test grounds, our proving grounds. And so our engineers are able to go between design, production, testing, all within you know a few hours. Um, so in one day they could go to all different spots and that'll help us really drive and move quickly, um, which is one of the other things that we need to do so we can get the system demonstrated at scale. So I think just in general, it's really about system solution, switching completely from diesel. You can't just do it in one piece and just focus on a truck, which I think a lot of the OEMs are. Um, you have to look at the full system. Obviously, you're talking about OEMs. How is first mode's uh, approach different um, than solutions offered by the traditional OEMs? Yeah, so, well, I would say... Our approach is very different in that systems approach and actually ownership of the full problem. Um, we know that you know the OEMs typically they provide a in this case a, a haulage solution, a truck. That's what they call a haulage solution. We call a haulage solution the whole thing. It's how do you get the energy onto site? How do you then manage it on site? How do you refuel efficiently? And then ultimately, how does the vehicle use it and operate? And so we, we take the full thing. So that's quite a different approach. Um, also, we're much more focused than the OEMs. You know, we don't have big product lines. We've got one solution, the focus for decarbonization. We don't have an existing production line making diesel engines that are going to compete against capital for us. So we're very focused. I think we're a lot more agile as well because we don't have those competing priorities and we're able to go quickly. Um, and one of the things is with our engineering team, um, a lot of them come from different backgrounds, whether it's automotive, um, whether it is space. Um, but that that mix is really important um, because, you know, for space, so one of the people that handle kind of cryogenic liquids, in this case, we're looking at liquid hydrogen. There's a lot of experience from that that we can bring in um, and we are bringing into our next systems. And that the OEMs just don't, they don't have that capability yet. Um, not to say that they won't build it, but um, one of the things that attracts talent to us is our sole focus on decarbonization, as opposed to, you know, a company that's making diesel engines at the same time, they're saying they're going to decarbonize and saying, we'll have the vehicle by 2030. We're saying, no, no, we're doing it now. We're not waiting. It's a super hard challenge, which is really attractive to engineers as well. Um, and we've got a customer, so it's not like we're just, you know, we don't have anyone to sell to. We, there is a market demand for it. Um, so I think that really differentiates us from, from them. Um, and again, just we're really focused on moving quickly and we learn by doing. Um, you can study study this problem and convince yourself not to do it. Um, what we did during the POC, we actually went and built it and we're like, wow, this worked really well. This is uh, even better than we thought. And so the next stage is I hope to see the same again in a next generation system um, and go from there. But we're also focused 
and taking this beyond haulage as well. We're just starting here. Um, we see opportunities, rail and stationary power as well for these really high powered, heavy duty applications. And so really what's exciting is we're building a capability here at first mode um, to be able to scale into these, these industries. Obviously, you uh, mentioned decarbonizing the full uh, infrastructure, uh, not just obviously trucks. What does that entail? Um, and also, how, how does that impact the mine site operations? Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that already in terms of the infrastructure. So part of it is there's you know, we, we have to look at, um, OK, how are we going to, in this case, how do you get the electrons efficiently into the vehicle? And there are different there'll be different solutions depending on the mine site. Um, and so there are there are existing trolley systems, for example, that can be used to power the wheel motors directly. And so how do you interface with that if that becomes full battery? One of the issues with full batteries, once you're off the trolley, you don't get much range. So you have to keep charging all the time. Whereas with the hydrant system, you get a good range and you can probably refuel, depending on the mine, two to three times a day um, is what the target is. But when you start looking at, okay, how am I going to get the fuel availability that I need? Right now, you know, a diesel truck comes in, loads up, and you've got like two weeks supply of diesel. Well, to have two weeks supply of either electrons in battery form or in hydrogen is just cost prohibitive. And so we look at, okay, what is the right set? And you've got to then design your, if I'm going to have hydrogen production on site versus something off site. How do I design that such that if I need to do maintenance activity, it's not down for two weeks and there's no fuel? Um, and so we look at that. How do you break it up? How do you get the reliability and availability of that system? And then so once you have that, that's driven by the requirements by the haul trucks and, and how much um, material the mine needs to move. And that's really what feeds into the plan, which drives a number of trucks and then their utilization. And then the next piece is, OK, now I've made the fuel. How do I get it to the vehicle? is you need strategies for making sure that you're not doing unnecessary movement of the vehicle. So what I'm talking about is you don't want to be driving 15 minutes with the truck empty to refuel. You want to be just pit stop on your haul route and refuel. Now, the haul routes move all the time. And so part of our solution is, okay, the refueling location, a lot of mines do this as good practice now with diesel. They move them maybe every six months or a year when they know that the routes are fairly set to limit how far the vehicles need to come out, that's going to be standard practice for us. It's going to have to be. Um, and so then you look at what's the permitting requirements? How do I manage the safety? What's the power requirements? So I can create a solution that can be movable in a few days, not weeks and requires next to no infrastructure. We can just set it down and then we go and then trucks can come in and refuel. And that's how we're thinking about infrastructure differently as well. And so I think that's a key part of the overall solution. And again, if you looked at just the truck and you weren't thinking about that, you won't get the operational availability that you need for that vehicle to deliver tons. Because ultimately, our customers want um, dollar per ton moved without any emissions associated with it. And that's what we've got to go and hit. That's ultimately what these things, these systems are designed for. Looking ahead, what are you most excited about? And obviously being the CEO of First Mode and obviously all of these projects that you're involved in, what, what really excites you? I think what's really exciting for me is just the opportunity that's ahead of us. Um, you know, the, we've, we've got a pathway and I'm sure the journey is going to take us in different directions as, as we grow. But uh, one of the big things that's always 
kind of attracted me is the, the actual oversized impact that we can have on decarbonization. Um, you know, we're, we're circa, we're about 300 people today. Um, we'll probably get up to you know, 400 or so by the end of the year. And then we start deploying and it's like a it's relatively small team that can have a huge amount um, emissions impact by just taking off um, a fleet of um, the ultra class trucks and decarbonizing them. So I think that's the opportunity um, that we see and, and being able to then take that and drive it into other industries. Um, and as we build the team here, being able to attract, you know, the more amazing talent that we have today and building a team that can go and deliver that mission. I think that's the really exciting thing. The capability that we're building here that can be able to be pointed at different problems is really exciting. We're obviously very much focused on, on haulage now, but like I talked about, whether it be freight, whether it be maritime, whether it be gensets, you know, who knows? I'm not sure there'll be other use cases that we're, we're not quite clear on now that will pop up. But I think what's exciting, like I said, is building this capability and just being able to to really harness it and focus it on these, these big problems. And concluding, what's the outlook uh, for the remainder of the year for for our first mode? So really, we're focused now on uh, what we're calling our minimum viable demonstration, um, the next generation um, uh, vehicles. So we've ordered um, two ultra class trucks to go down into our proving grounds. Um, and we've just re we recently announced an order with Ballard for, you know, um, our fuel cells to go into those. Um, we've ordered our batteries for those. And so the key components all coming together. We're starting, um, we're, we're in negotiations right now to get liquid hydrogen supply and hydrogen supply down there as well. So targeting by the end of the year to have that starting to come together. Um, and then in 2024, have that um, demonstration units moving. And we'll be constantly evolving those. And we're looking to an arc to get um, in 2025 to start delivering into the mine site in South Africa during the second half of 2025. And so that's really where everyone's pointed and focused. So this year is just really about um, getting our engineering designs um, done and start basically pulling the system together. Julian, really appreciate your time and give us an update, obviously, of first mode, what you do. It's an important, obviously, subject within the mining industry. And I think this podcast or this episode will appeal to quite a, quite a lot of our audience. So if they want to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, got any queries, also want to follow follow the story of first mode and, and what you're doing with Anglo-American and maybe adopt that within their uh, mind site. How can they go about contacting you and how can they follow you across any social media platforms? Sure, sure. So obviously uh, the first place is, is go to our website, firstmode.com. Um, or go follow us on LinkedIn as well. Um, and just follow myself on there as well. I have some post stories and what's going on as, as I come into Seattle and, and meet people. So yeah, no, please. And, and Rob, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you today and share with your audience what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time. Like I said, it's an important subject and it's going to be, I suppose, more evident within the mining industry and other industries um, as we move to uh, sort of zero carbon and decarbonizing all of our industries. Um, so, yeah, it's an important, important subject that you've covered today. So obviously wish you well for the, the remainder of the year. Perhaps you want to come on next year and give us an update on, on how things have gone. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, hope that's a, I hope you've got many takeaways from this uh, episode. 
obviously it's something that's important within our industry, within our mining industry. So appreciate if you can share this episode amongst others uh, within the industry and also others outside of the industry. Because I'd imagine if you're in another industry, some of the some of the principles that um, Julian and First Mode may um, adopt may be used in your industry. So appreciate if you can keep sharing these episodes. Um, so to get them to, to get the message out to others around the world. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.